0: My name is Kate Cormack, and this is Pulse, the monthly podcast of Voice for Life New Zealand. If you're looking for informative and intelligent pro-life commentary, interviews, and news, then this is definitely the show for you.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome along to this month's episode of Pulse, the podcast of Voice for Life New Zealand, the very first episode for twenty. 23. Now, as you can tell from the deep and dulcet tones of my voice, I am not Kate Cormack. So don't panic for those of you who are thinking, what's happening, Kate, in your life? You've got rather masculine and hormonal all of a sudden. No, she hasn't. I am Brendan Malone. You who have listened to this podcast before will know, oh, yeah, I've heard this guy. He's been on the podcast previously. I've heard his lovely voice. I like that chap. But Brendan, what are you doing hosting? Well, let me explain. We are going to talk about a profoundly important issue today, uh, the issue of death. And this is an issue that has very much been part of Kate's story over the last couple of weeks. It's it's hit her life in a profound way, and so I was asked if I would host today, so that Kate could have the freedom to to be a guest, effectively, on her own podcast to to share and to talk about this. So Kate is with me here, uh, also uh, Pastor Jason Winslade, who is a uh, pastor who has uh, grappled with and. Uh, pastorally ministered to the dying and the families of the dead in his work, and so brings a lot of important insights to that. And so we're going to talk about this important topic. But before we get into that, uh, last night, we're all together here in Wellington. Yeah. Uh, it, it's great to be here, right? We, we're normally not in a room together.
0: No, it's rare. It's rare, <laughs> so we are.
1: And the reason we're here together is because last night in Wellington, uh, we had the Call for Justice Vigil to commemorate the three-year anniversary of the passing into law of the very extreme Abortion Legislation Act. And so we're there to to mourn, to commemorate, and to be a witness to the Mm. culture of life in the face of this awful thing. But it was a really beautiful thing. I know for me, standing there present with a bigger group of people than we'd had previously, um, and also after a year's hiatus because of a certain incident that happened at Parliament (laughs) that shall remain (laughs) nameless last year, we were not able to be on Parliament grounds, so we couldn't have the event. We were back, but despite the year break, there were... There was a bigger crowd there. It was it was a really beautiful thing, right? Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad that we we did it. I'm so glad we held the vigil. Um, it was beautiful to see those who came. Uh, lots of young people had come as well. That was that was great to see. Uh, it was just a good night. It was really good to be there. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we did it. It was good.
1: And Jason, you, I have to say, I'm going to compliment you here because you uh, you delivered one of the presentations. Uh, we had uh, mm-hmm. several brief presentations. Uh, Bob McCroskery, thank you Bob, who mm. came and spoke. Uh, Dr. Ate Mawala, really beautiful. And other people who prayed, those who yeah. different people who said prayers. You, you delivered what I think was a very important presentation, Jason, on the uh, the whole question of the spheres of power, the sphere of governmental power, but how that should be limited by the sphere of, well, the, really the, the moral life of, of the church and, and that voice of proclaiming moral truth to the culture. Um, And that boundary was very much transgressed with this law. But it must have been something, I think, I guess for you to to look out and see. There's a, a group of people who are there in agreement who have come to commemorate and to speak for justice.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's important. I think when when there are injustices um, that have been carried out by the hands of our government, it's very easy to go one of two ways: um, mm. either we roll over and show our bellies, yeah. surrender to to injustice, or we go the other way and we disregard the the God given sphere of authority of civil government in the first place. And I don't think either one of those are right. So in my speech, I did hope to kind of you know uh, convey. What is the correct biblical stance where that's concerned? But I thought, thought everyone did really well. I, yeah. I appreciated the prayers. I appreciated mm-hmm. um, the visual aspect of that and as well. So it was great to be there.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We, we laid uh, roses to commemorate mm-hmm. uh, one rose for each life lost to abortion yesterday. On average, 36 every single yeah. day. Uh, we had candles there for, 36 candles for the mothers, fathers and families. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very beautiful, prayerful thing. right? And Kate, now we're not going to talk about this now, but we know in the coming months you are going to make an announcement about some developments in regards to the call for Justice Vigil uh, starting from next year. So people, keep your ears to the ground. Kate's going to be talking yes. about some exciting developments. <laughs> we, we, it's important that we keep being a voice. It Absolutely. really is. Absolutely,
0: especially on Parliament steps. Yep. I think that's very yep. significant.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, well said before we jump into this important topic we're going to talk about death today you might think gosh pro-life you guys are pro-life why the heck would you want to talk about death because death and life are are, are polar opposites aren't they well really no they're not actually the more in fact funny story i'll let you in a little secret you're listening to this podcast now but we've already been talking for about 45 minutes but (laughs) but someone in this room who shall remain nameless uh it was me I don't it was me. I, 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 you have to own it. I forgot to hit record, so so Ouch. here we are. And so, please, God, give us just the grace, yes. and the, because you, I'm telling you, you guys missed a really beautiful. It's <laughs> the best podcast I've ever recorded, and we didn't record it. So this um, will
0: be an even better version. Yeah, that's right. So of what had, we had to say, Jason said we have had a warm Okay. Up.
1: Yeah, and, and I have to say to the two gracious guests here, <laughs> um, I would probably be saying that's it i'd be throwing chairs i'd be up i'd be out of the room you've had your chance i'll never come back on the show again but but they were like okay let's let's start again it's all good um so yeah we're going to talk about death before we do that though and i explain why this is important uh, a huge thank you to all of the donors who support Voice mm. for Life New Zealand. If it wasn't for you, things like the Call for Justice Vigil wouldn't happen. Yeah. Things like the Activate Pro-Life Training Weeks, uh, things like the, the the national tour events. There's so much work, and a lot of it is so very, very uh, important, life-saving work as well. Yes. It actually is saving lives. Yeah. Your contribution helps. If you want to help support this podcast and this work of Voice for Life, this very important work and, and really helping to renew and to build the culture of life in New Zealand, please go to voiceforlife.org.nz forward slash donate. If you go to the homepage, you'll see a donate button there, Mm -hmm. voiceforlife.org.nz. You can donate by credit card. You can make an AP donation. You you can become a regular AP donor. Every little bit helps. And also... Uh, I should say, um, being a good host like I am, subbing in here. (laughs) I'm enjoying that. Voice for Life now also has uh, an option for people who want to remember Voice for Life in their will to leave a bequest. And I know we're going to talk about this today, the issue of death. So here's a good chance to think about this, that that a bequest – to Voice for Life ensures that even as you move on from this life, you you actually leave a legacy for the yep. culture of life that really matters, and that really, really helps. So voiceforlife.org.nz forward slash donate. Right. Let's jump into today's topic of conversation, and, and yeah. that is death. Yeah. Like I said, this might seem strange, but you're pro is <laughs> talking about death, but... Um, and I'll start where well, we started with the first failed attempt at a recording, and that is that the the Christian tradition, which we very much come out of, there's no, we shouldn't shy away from that yeah. as, as pro-lifers. It's that that really that firm ethic that teaches us that we are. Sacred image bearers, every human being is made in the image of God. And what do you do with sacred things? You respect them. You nurture them. You care for them. You don't disregard. You don't treat them as objects and you don't destroy them. And so that very much underpins who we are, our tradition as pro-lifers. And so any authentic tradition should do two very important things. It should help you to live a more full and flourishing life and it should prepare you for your death. And so this is a conversation that matters. And Kate, death is very much something that has, you know, if I could be a little bit poetical here, has visited your household, yeah, in the last couple of weeks, and you are grappling with even at this time. Your yeah. father died just a matter of a few short weeks
0: ago. Yeah, yeah. So my dad, his name is Paul, he uh, died almost four weeks ago now, so three and a half weeks ago, and so uh, I've been going through this experience for the first time really. Um, As Brennan and Jason are aware, I haven't actually lost anyone um, very, very close to me in my life before to death. So, yeah, my granddad is 99 and a half and my grandma is 89. And um, so even that experience of losing your, you know, most people my age generally have lost a grandparent or gone through that um, experience. So, but not me. Um, So, yeah, this was quite a new thing for me to face.
1: Yeah. You uh This is all happening too, isn't it, in in the midst of Cyclone Gabriel. It's it's hitting Napier, where you're from. Yes. And, I mean, there's a storm, there's an existential storm that's coming upon your family in the midst (laughs) of an actual, literal, meteorological storm that's, that's pounding the country. Tell us a bit about that experience.
0: Yeah. So, thankfully, the way that the timing worked out is that we had actually... Uh, managed to get my dad a bed in the hospice in Mm -hmm. Hastings on the Saturday before the cyclone hit us on Tuesday, Valentine's Day. And so and it meant for Napier, where we live, that there was no power, no telecommunications, Mm -hmm. nothing. Um, The roads between Napier and Hastings were... uh, flooded basically Mm. all the bridges were down and so there was no way to travel back and forth Um, and my dad actually died on the Friday following the cyclone on the Tuesday so uh, the fact that he was there and safe in Hastings where there was power even just that was such a blessing. Mm. Uh, It did create some challenges. Um, There was at one point I needed to actually get police clearance to um, cross back to Hastings to be with him at one point. Um, But things did work out really, really well, thankfully. So, yeah, I was grateful that that Mm. had happened because if he was living in his home, he would have been evacuated. And at that point, things were quite bad. So very grateful to hospice in general, but also for that timing yeah how
1: did um your you go into this experience of death very much steeped in the pro-life ethic the pro-life tradition how do you think that shaped your experience of death is that a positive thing are you prepared for this how do you think the pro-life ethic is is shaping your experience of your father's death and, and the dying process and things like that
0: massively i think it massively underpinned how i approached this whole journey um, the fact that when I got involved in pro-life was the first time I started to really even hear the concept of, you know, that we're pro-life from conception to natural death. And so mm-hmm. you're like, natural death, well, what's the other alternative? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so learning about uh, the difference, obviously, between natural death and then there's deliberate killing um, through euthanasia and assisted suicide. And uh, obviously, yeah, just being engulfed in the learning around those topics and what it is to have a good death. A lot of that teaching actually was from you <laughs> in those well, early days. So that's very kind. Heads up, man. Brennan. Thank well, you. as
1: I always say to people, and I absolutely mean this, anything good that comes out of my mouth, all glory goes to God. Yeah, yeah. The no, rubbish definitely. is my fault. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, so um, it was quite foundational. And then obviously for the last uh, around four years, if not longer, we have been pushing back against the End of Life Choice Act um, that was coming into law So, and legalizing euthanasia in New Zealand. So being a part of that work and learning so much about it, like in-depth mm. learnings about it, and talking and working with those who were going to be are directly affected by this law so those in the disability community um who people deem to not have quality of life uh working with those who were terminally ill who have actually now passed away but those who were terminally ill and would be eligible mm. for euthanasia and who were suffering yeah. but who were against mm. the end of life choice act so i think um and to, it for me at the time of Learning all of this and meeting these people and hearing their stories and and working to prevent this from coming into law in New Zealand now that it is working to try and prevent people from being uh, vulnerable to it hugely impacted how I viewed my dad's terminal illness diagnosis. You, you,
1: you told me at one point that uh, just in the really the sort of the final hours of his life that uh, or final couple of days that. Um, that for you you could see how someone who didn't have a pre existing ethical grounding in these important truths could be very easily tempted, even good people, to do something that was very wrong because of the reality of death and dying and, and, and you know, suffering and terminal illness
0: and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean you're so vulnerable to it. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. Hmm. Um, When you're right in the middle of pain and suffering, Mm. not only for the person, but the family members start to say things. Mm. Um, There's sort of, yeah, even just from the people in your community might, might hint at things. Mm. Um, So I think for those who, you know, my, I knew where my dad stood on this because we had had those conversations and even Mm. because it just, because of my work, we would Mm. end up talking about it quite a lot. And, Through the referendum, you know, Mm. he would get my help on, or even before then, um, with the End of Life Choice Act's progress through parliament, my dad would ask for help on how to make Mm. a submission because he did stand against it and he didn't want that for himself. And he did fear and had concerns about it being legalized in New Zealand. So thankfully, I understood where my dad very much was clear, he was very clear on where Mm. he stood. But uh, it was just a big eye-opener. Hmm. And even for him in those darkest moments, there was not that he swayed from that value, you know, that value and that stance that he had, but you could see that he was being impacted by, um, yeah, the pressures and the hmm. darkness around him and those moments of hmm. deep pain. So, um, but he fought, he fought the good fight, you know, yeah. um, till the end. But... Yes, I could see how, man, if you were were vulnerable, if you were alone, you know, my dad kept saying to me, man, what would I do without you Um, and Mm. my brothers? Because having someone to advocate for him, um, because he wasn't able to really speak for himself in those final Mm. days and final weeks even. So, yeah. Wow
1: that That's uh, very important Jason, you are a, a, a minister of the gospel You uh, attend to the pastoral needs of a flock And also to people who often would approach a minister of gospel Because often, it's, I guess it's the one thing Thankfully still a lot of people have their head around If I'm facing death, who do I speak to? And thankfully for a lot of people still they, they recognise Well maybe this is the moment I should actually knock on the, the door of the, of the local church and, and see what they might have to offer me I think, though, there's a there's a reality here, isn't it, in the sense that we live in a culture that doesn't really deal with death, doesn't grapple with it, doesn't even want to talk about it. I think we're in a very technocratic society now in the West. We expect a technical fix yeah. even to death itself. Yeah. Kate's just talked about the reality of living and sitting in that situation, of the process of dying. Yeah. This has a bearing right on on people not really being prepared.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think we've seen that that slow drift over however long decades now mm. where people are moving away from faith. They're moving mm. to more of a humanistic way of, of living, the, a temporal way of living. They're living for today mm. and not really thinking beyond that, really. And so, yeah, as we've seen people move away from faith, well, mm. then they're moving away from the answers that are actually given concerning life after death. Mm. And so... If you don't have the the answers to life after death, well, death then becomes very um, it becomes uh, quite a frightening unknown part of life, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, I think more and more we are removing ourselves as a culture from really thinking through what death is and how Mm. we can best prepare for that leading up to that time.
1: What what would you advise, Jason? Let's say someone approaches you and says, "Look, I've I've had a terminal diagnosis, or I'm just thinking about my death," and I. Maybe I need to, I guess, as they say, put my affairs in order and be prepared for whenever that happens to be. What, what, what are some of the practical advice you would give to people in that regard?
2: Yeah, well, there's always the practical and the spiritual. The spiritual mm. would obviously be talking about um, making sure that they're right with their maker and mm. and, and mm. explain to them how the Bible says that that can happen. That's first and foremost. It's better to have your uh, practical affairs out of order if your spiritual orders uh, spiritual affairs point. are in order, mm. um, yeah. preferably and what we aim for is both. So yeah. on that practical level, um, what I'd be saying is just ensuring and asking and encouraging people to actually write down their wishes Mm. for Mm. what they would like to have happen after their passing or even leading up to their passing as well make it very explicitly clear what their desires actually are and the reason for that is that many people who have gone through the death of a loved one they'll know that when it's if it's not clear Mm. and if it's left to the opinions um, or, or the whims of the extended family it can actually cause a lot of conflict And that time of the passing of a loved one is hard enough as it is, let alone trying to work out what we think that loved one would have wanted. And so um, I would encourage, and I do encourage people to really be articulate in, in what it is that they, what their wishes are. Um, mm. Certainly, you know, not being euthanized if that's what their wish, wish is, which we would hope that that would be the case. Um, when it comes to the practical um, elements of that as well, what what would you like to have as part of your funeral service? Um, would you like faith mentioned, would you like the gospel to explicitly be
0: mm. communicated
2: to those who are gathering together? Things of that nature. And, mm. and, and what it does is it actually takes, it's a service to your extended yeah. family, because it takes so much thinking work out of it if the Mm. person themselves has written down everything that they can ahead of time.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's so important, right? So the first thing you've you've talked about there is the idea of living wills or or advanced care directives. And and make sure, folks, that you explicitly state in that. Look, if you don't want euthanasia or assisted suicide, put it in there and say, this is not to happen to me, this must not happen to me, because then you've got a legally binding document. People can be held accountable if they violate Mm -hmm. that. And I think that's important to ensure that other people Mm. don't suffer that same sort of fate. But then there's also the aspect of, you know, think we don't tend to think about a will in this way, do we? We tend to think, oh, well, I, you know, where are my financial affairs? Where's yeah. my state going to yeah. go? That's obviously important. A lot of people mm. miss that one too. But even more so is the concept of your own funeral mm. and, and how important that can be. I mean, I've heard horror stories about, I'm, I'm part of the Catholic tradition, mm. and uh, I've heard horror stories about, um, about priests who wanted, uh, you know, that really deep Catholic... You know, as I said in our last recording, we do we do death and mourning and grief really, really well. You know that memento mori, uh, we face that reality well. But I've heard horror stories of priests who, because it wasn't in, uh, you know, uh, the instructions in their will, they've had even funerals that were subpar and hymns that people say, I know that that. That minister of the gospel did not like that him at all, and yeah. there it is at their funeral, and and um, this could be your last opportunity, and since Jason, to as a person who's died, to preach the gospel it's mm. through your your funeral that that happens, right? Potentially,
2: yeah. a- absolutely, that's right. You, the, the funeral isn't really for the the person who's passed because, you know, they're in a different place, they're in a dif- mm. different dimension than what we are here on Earth. Mm. But it very much is for those who are left behind. It's ministering to those who are left behind. And certainly if you're a, a person of faith and, and you know that you're unbelieving relatives of people not of faith who are going to be coming for yeah. the event. It marks quite a, a, a significant opportunity where you have very much a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. And I know yeah, that, I absolutely. know as one who has, who um, you know, held, conducted numerous funerals, mm. that if I know ahead of time and it's been written down as well that the past, the person who has passed, has wanted the gospel to be preached um, mm. honestly yet sensitively. Um, that gives uh, me mm. a freedom to do that, mm. and it does provide a, a tremendous mm. opportunity. Sometimes we are always looking to communicate our faith with our loved ones, and sometimes we have that opportunity. Um, other times we don't have that opportunity. This is sort of a, a way that that can certainly be mm. secured if that's the uh, the wish of the person. Yeah, Kate, okay, your, your father's
1: passing, I think this is something maybe we don't do so well in the West mm. today, is actually, I guess we... we we fear well the person, uh, but we don't we used to do it a lot better. I mean, I remember mm. when my father died, for example, we had uh, we had a wake of sorts yeah. we, we he came home my uh, Sister and brother-in-law opened up their place, and we had a Sunday afternoon. We had a barbecue. Kids were playing in the pool. Dad was there in the other room. Mm. The coffin was open. People, like, the kids could come in and draw little notes and pictures and put them into the coffin with Dad. Uh, people could just come and hold his hand and, and have time and quiet and, and talk. Mm. Uh, we, so we had a bit of feasting and a barbecue. He's present with us. Yeah. We, we then, uh, being good Irishmen, we, <laughs> mm. we then uh, have a final toast with a, with a good whiskey over the coffin and uh and then the uh the lid is put on and and then the sons carry him out to the hearse and he goes to the church and the catholic tradition is you have a vigil the night before in the church Mm. so we do that and then we the next day, some in some cases, the the body of the deceased will actually their final night on earth will be spent mm-hmm. above ground in the sanctuary of a church, mm-hmm. and then we come together and we have the funeral the next day, and they go into the ground. and There's there's a there's so much going on there that really um, tangibly connects us to this reality you know, as a, as a a part of our own life in a sense yeah. too. Do you have your own experiences there with the passing of your father?
0: Yeah, uh, well, just this last Saturday, uh, we held his celebration of life service. Thankfully, he's part of an amazing church, so shout out to the Napier Salvation Army. (laughs) Um, They were a huge help to me before and after his death um, with their support. Um, They visited him in hospital and actually uh, two of the pastors, uh, Pacific Islander and the uh, female officer at the from the army she actually asked to pray for my dad and actually sing over him and he was incredibly moved by that experience um so that was really beautiful that they were involved and and a few of his um brothers from church would go and meet with him in his you know some of his darkest times and just remind him about the truth of the gospel and just encourage him when he was at low points and thankfully, yeah, he had a wonderful church community who helped us organise the funeral. So, I had to put on a funeral director hat because Dad just hated the idea of paying a funeral director to just go ahead and and do the whole whole thing at a at sort of like a strange place that yeah, wasn't yeah. his home church and things like that. And he wanted really nice food, not like you know basic you know vanilla vanilla biscuits for afternoon tea so he had, had, had some wishes he had conveyed with me um which I wanted to to carry out but mm-hmm. no there were some moments you know even um an older man from church that was his mate you know built he's a carpenter so he he put together dad's urn box made out of rimu beautiful um and that, that meant a lot to dad too knowing that that was taking place and being able to do that um I mean, I guess the process of dying was new to me, um, even just, you know, from the funeral director coming and and um, picking Dad up from, from the hospice after his death. And there were just new things to me, but I really uh, appreciated learning more and experiencing the things that were happening and going to view Dad's body. Um, you know, they had dressed him in his Salvation Army uniform um, before cremation and then actually going to the next day to that part of things. And... So it really did help me with my grieving process, um, just those steps along the way, mm. uh, but yeah, just so thankful for the church community. Um,
1: that's that's an important word you yeah. just said here, this community, and Jason, yeah. this is if I can bring you in here, this is, uh, pro, you hear this a lot from, you know, whenever pro to speak authentically about these realities, uh, we are made for community, mm-hmm. death itself is a communal experience, or it should be, and what you're describing here is a community gathering around people, mm. but are we, in a sense, Jason, maybe, uh, are our communities of faith as good as we could be at actually preparing our people mm. for that reality, reminding of that, that, that um, I, I think I talked about in our previous attempt at a recording, sorry to keep going mm. back to referring to this recording, but it's really, it's, <laughs> it's paining a me, There's a deep pain <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, because there's some great content in there. But, um, for example, the Christian tradition of praying night prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, there's a sense uh, when our family gathers each night for our family prayers. For a while now with our kids, we've been praying, you know, as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Mm-hmm. And initially our kids were like, "Ooh, death. But then it becomes <laughs> this, yeah. no, no, this is that they're learning. That, that their life will come to an end. The tradition of night mm-hmm. prayer is the final prayer you'd pray as the Lord grant us a, a quiet night and a perfect death. So every night you go got to sleep, in a sense, is a little reminder of our death. But as a, a community, this is a communal thing. Mm-hmm. We, I, I recognize my death is not just my own. It's it's I, it's also a journey I owe to my community yep. to take with me. But are we, Jason, as communities of faith, as Christian communities, maybe doing a good job or, or enough? It's often we like, oh, well, the minister will take care of it. Pastoral deal with it, yeah. priest will deal with it, but what are we as a community, yeah. and helping to, I guess, to form our communities to be people of, I guess, the cross that's that's an ever-present reality yeah. too. That there will be a final moment.
2: Yeah, I I think in some some pockets um, people are doing community well. Mm. We see biblical community happening. I see in other circles that's not so much the case. Mm. Um, you see, um, in in some areas where there's a focus more on. The individual, um, the the sermons or the teaching would be more on felt needs and mm. you know, five steps to a happy life and <laughs> and and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's all about me and mm. you. Kind of come to your. Worship gatherings as a a spectator as a consumer Mm. and it's very much the same mentality that I think that you'd have in a secular neighborhood Where you just see the person people your neighbors driving up into their driveway Mm. go into their garages they go into their home you have You don't know anything about them And I think sometimes that can be sometimes in the church as well where people just sort of come in with a consumerist kind of mentality um, I, I think I think we can do better at that. I think that mm. I think we have to see you know com- at that community level um, we are a, a body you know we're a body of Christ mm. as um, people of faith and so we need to function in that kind of mm. way as mm. well. It's um it's interesting to note that I think something has being lost in some you know in some circles when it comes to death and the community being part of that mm. uh, there was always traditionally uh, it was a community affair when mm. when death was to was to come um, to a to a friend or a family member and they would traditionally have the the front of the house known as the parlor and that was the place basically where you came and you you put the casket and laid the casket Mm -hmm. there Um, you'd have someone in the community that would um, for free um, be able to put together a a casket for the person Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't have to be the ones that are you know try to guilt you into buying two four six eight thousand dollar type of caskets because apparently that's how you show you love your um you love your loved one if you just end up spending all this money on them but you'd have someone go and do that and it was it may not have been as flash but hey it it was it was it was from the heart and someone had put together this this casket to lay Mm. the body the community would then come and and view the body they would Mm. they'd be communicating with the morning even right in their homes that would happen a lot of times Mm. as well and i think i do think that as as our cultures moved away from a culture of faith i guess you could say or faith in the in the center of that well we have distanced ourselves from death and as the result, there is a tendency mm. to lead that to the professionals. It's to call mm. call in the funeral director, yeah. call in the professional, and we distance ourselves more and more yeah. from that process and the reality of death. I think it's something that we need to recover. Because
1: yeah. you've mentioned consumerism. And if, if we're breeding, I guess, communities of well they're not communities, groups of consumerism, you know, it's what do I get out of it, then you know, that that habit, the Greeks would say mm. the habitus that you're forming in people, that's gonna go into death. Mm. But death, as you'll probably testify to, Kate, is the furthest thing from a consumer experience. You yeah. don't get what you want. Mm. It doesn't happen when you want it, and it doesn't work according to your dictates. As a general rule, it's yeah. it's you are you must stop and surrender yourself to this process. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Dad uh, was sixty-seven when he mm. died, and he retired about sixty-five. And we had been talking a lot about getting his affairs in order around his will and uh, all those things that we knew needed, you know, even finding a funeral director and starting to have those conversations um, and getting them, yeah, in writing and getting them clearly conveyed with me so that I knew the plan and, um yeah, so we'd been talking about death, but, you know, dad was retired. And so, you know, one week we'd be like talking about it and he's oh, yeah, this week I'll get onto that. And then, you know, a mate asks him to go help out Clara's garage and suddenly he's distracted and off doing that. And that just keeps happening because you, <laughs> so two years later, he's given this diagnosis and we still didn't have a lot of that uh, mm. clear. So that was quite a panic to have to mm. suddenly, within a week, we were rushing around trying to make sure we had everything organized and even things like his phone password because he started to forget things. He wasn't, mm. um, he was struggling mentally, uh, had like a lot of brain fog because of a few different reasons. And so I'm just thinking, wow, within a week, uh, he's lost a lot of ability and a lot of, you um, Yeah. So it was quite panicky to think in that moment, oh my goodness, we need to get things sorted and yeah, it's not going how we had envisioned this would go. And so now I have this real newfound, I guess, drive and passion to talk about death with everybody. And it's like, you know, actually asking those questions, and I'm only 38, but I've been asking my friends because they're, you know, mothers and fathers have young kids, but I'm like, you know, have you actually got your will up to date? Have you actually written down the things that you'd like for your funeral, even the song choices? What would be really meaningful for you for, meaningful for you to know was going to take place at that time and what things would you want to leave what words do you want to leave behind for those who are at the Mm. funeral service so i'm actually just engaging in these conversations not to be morbid but like i think it actually just makes you know the experience of death and talking about death it just makes life even sweeter Mm. to remind you that to be pro-life to be pro-life right is i think
1: to have Uh, uh, very much a uh, healthy relationship with death yeah. because we think of death as, oh, that's the end of Mm. life. No, death is a part of your life. It is a journey. It's not a a full stop. I mean, it will eventually, that journey comes to an end, but it is a process, a a journey you Mm. go through. Mm. And, um, you know, I know, Jason, I've heard you do this before, but we we are all, in a Mm. sense, we're all terminal. In yeah. a sense, you know, yeah. we, 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 that in that reality,
2: we, we most certainly are, and we we try to we try to delay that mm. the best that yeah. we can. We try to can you know convince ourselves mm. that we're somehow getting younger. Mm. Um, the reality <laughs> with having six young kids in mm. our home, or mm. six kids who are actually all still growing at mm. this moment, they are growing. You know, mm. they're they're on that 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 upward you know the upward kind of hill at the moment. But I don't know, I can't remember exactly what age it is. It might be 24, 25, 26 the human body stops growing you know mm. that you've come to your complete you know the completion in terms mm. of your physical side of a human yeah. being and from that relatively early stage the decline begins yeah. mm. um in other words the best that we're ever going to look um <laughs> the best that we're probably ever going to feel yeah. is around that yeah. kind of mid to late 20s mm-hmm. And we are on the slow process mm. of death. I mean, it sounds yeah. kind of morbid, and we tried to do our best to delay that. Mm. We buy, you know, creams to try to, you know, <laughs> to, to try to, to, you know, we try to style Speak for yourself, mate. Um, <laughs> we do it. We do I our, buy creams. We do, our, we do our best, but the further we yeah. go on, we know that these these yeah. bodies are fading away, and so we are in that process, so we need to be thinking about it.
1: Well, the Grim Reaper's a communist, as I often like to say to people. Everyone gets <laughs> the same payout in the end. You know, he's not a capitalist. You can't buy your way out of it. Aww. He's not going to say one different yeah. for you. No, everyone yeah. gets the same payout and and this brings me to something actually I think Mm. Kate I've heard you talking about before is that that whole concept of um, whenever I speak to men actually I often say to them one of the important things is to think about the legacy you're leaving and for men that really means something Mm. and so there's this sense in which I I would often give them this challenge what are people going to say about you at your funeral yeah uh, or are they going to sit around and say, "Man, this this man was a man of virtue. He was a man of faith. He was a mm-hmm. man of generosity. He loved his wife. Loved mm. his kids. He he was an honest businessman." Or are they going to be just sit, look, sort of looking around, thinking, mm, "I wonder what's in those sandwiches that we're yeah, about to start yeah. eating?" Are they going to be talking about the chicken yeah. sandwiches? Or are they going to be talking about talking about your legacy and that yeah. and that? You know, you you've experienced that with your father, right?
0: In his yeah. funeral just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, just this past Saturday mm. um, at a celebration, um, we had a time of open tributes, and there were people coming up, just coming up, coming up, coming up. You know, I thought maybe five people might say a few nice words, but it was, you know, more than that. And Mm. people that I, and I I was one of my dad's best friends Mm. and heavily involved in his life and knew most of his mates, but there were people standing up saying things about how he had impacted their life. And I I had never heard of this person. I didn't know that he had Mm. done that. And that was the thing. He was a very generous and, and loving man. And a lot of things he never, he was very humble in the sense he, he was happy to serve people in private, and it didn't yeah. need to be broadcast. Maybe like myself, <laughs> do a good deed. I'll let you know about it. But um, so, no, it was really yeah powerful to make mm. you reflect on your own life. And I know my brother was really moved, thinking, "Gosh, you know, even if, even if." At my funeral, half of that was said I would be a happy man. So it does make you stop to reflect on what you would like for yourself and what your hopes are and really mm. puts life into perspective. And that is why um, I find now I'm having conversations about death with um, friends and others. It's They're actually amazing conversations to have, and it's actually very eye-opening. Mm. You find out things about people you would have never known that matter to them mm. and that they want to be known for, that they um, hope they leave as a legacy and it makes me you know it just puts a lot in perspective um I don't have children yet hopefully I will but I don't have children and my dad just kept saying to me and my brothers you know what would I do without you in these final days you know being able to advocate for him and uh, my middle brother actually cared for him 24 7 Mm. and you know doing all the things you can imagine like full on care you know Um, and to have a son that will do that for you so um, I really need to butter up my uh, nephews and nieces a lot more because, <laughs> you know, in my final days, you know, who, my mum won't be there. You know, who will be there for me in those well, moments? Well, this is, again, community. or that question. Authentic yeah, authentic in your community, your you know? church community. Yeah. Yeah, and thankfully I have an amazing one. Um, but, it, you know, raises mm. those questions of age and, and how are you pouring into the next generation of those in your, yeah. in your family and... Yeah so yeah, it's, it's been good mm. to think about and good to talk about. Yeah. Well, again
1: so this is pro life. Yeah. It's it's the fullness of the f- and flourishing of, of life is yes. death is part of that. Yes. It, it's, it's got to be. Yeah. And here's one thing I think though. Mm. We, we we have this issue of we talk about you often hear this when when people are dying, often particular terminal illness we we hear this uh, this phrase existential suffering, you know. Mm. And this and we tend to think when we hear existential suffering we think oh yeah, the person who's dying. Mm. It's about And that's true, of course. But there's also the existential suffering of those who live on afterwards. Mm. Right. And, and, and those who must grieve mm. and, and uh, you know, who, who are not the dying ones, but who have to contend and grapple with mm. the death. Jason, that's a reality. Right. But we also can make mistakes in this yeah. space, in our zeal to help someone who's going through that sort of suffering. Mm. And we think, oh, I'll help. I've got just the perfect <laughs> scripture for them or the perfect thing to do or say. Um. What, what do you think are some of those mistakes we should try and avoid maybe?
2: Yeah, well, well. first of all, we want to we be reaching out. And I think mm. that's the first thing. And it's never going to be a, a perfect. It's never going to be perfect. We will make mistakes at times. Um, but we want to be journeying alongside those who are uh, grieving, those who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. I think, first of all, it's just recognizing there is a grief and mm-hmm. it is real. And I think one of the mistakes sometimes in trying to um, uh, help someone who's in a, a moment of grieving is that we, like, yeah, we think we think that we've got the silver bullet of a verse that we can say, or if we just have this conversation and encourage them, that somehow at the end of that, um, it's all going to be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the mistake that the person grieving themselves can sometimes um, Uh, fall into or the mistake they can fall into is to thinking that somehow um, grief um, is somewhat of a respect of a timeline um, Mm. when in fact it isn't Mm. Um, it's really a season and that season can be short that season can be long but one thing's for sure we don't dictate when that season is over it's it's something that's very individual to the person themselves and so the person themselves needs to release themselves of any expectation saying well after a week or after yeah. a month or after six months I must be finished with this grieving that's one of the worst things to do yeah. because you put unnecessary expectations and pressure on oneself is there do you think though that on the flip side of that, because uh,
1: absolutely it's some really important wisdom there do you think though there's a danger that maybe if people don't get the right support uh, they can end up in an unhealthy grief that's got it's not no longer authentic grief they're now stuck in an almost nihilistic darkness they can't get Mm. out of from that death Uh,
2: i i think so um but i think one of the solutions to that is community yeah is that you find ways um uh, measured ways for people to start to get back into community again Mm. um yes having a a season to mourn and that Mm. season to mourn and grief will continue on but not having them isolated from community as they're doing that yeah and and i think uh I think you know Kate doesn't mind me saying. I think uh, I think a real testimony of that is something that we saw last night at yeah. the, at the uh, call for justice vigil. Though, although just she only just buried her father not so long ago, um, here she is um, able to step into somewhat of a, a role that, and had a role to play at the yeah. at the, at the at the vigil, and and she was you know, gradually she was transitioning back into um, yeah. community life again. And I think that's that's really important.
1: Well, I can't help but wonder too, there's two things that seems to me at play here that we, we've lost in the modern West. One is the breakdown of community and you need the communal aspect of our death and dying. It's all very individualistic now. It's mm-hmm. my death mm-hmm. and I will I will pick everything I want to happen, including yeah. now, I'll have a uh, designer cocktail of deadly chemicals injected into my veins if I want to, to oh, I'll decide mm. the time and all this kind of stuff. It's got to that degree of control. So And the communal aspect of it's been lost. But also, like we talked about when we started with, um, we don't see and we don't grapple with death much anymore. And so it's this weird abstract, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with it. But if you live in a culture that actually lives through in a communal way and is living with the reality of death, then I think it also gives you a certain empowerment to say, you know what? This is a part of the process and I must grieve, but I also have to live life and and, yeah. and continue to yeah. contribute while I'm here too. I don't just yeah. get blown away because I don't know what this... It's so frightening and so overwhelming. I've never even contemplated it. Now it's upon me mm-hmm. and I don't know what yeah. to do. You know? I
0: feel like there's been a great balance um, in our situation where when my dad was in hospice and dying in those final weeks, I really struggled with um, wanting to work yeah. and you and Jason were really like quite clear, <laughs> like your, your dad is dying. It's okay to actually just be with him. This is time yeah. that you won't get back. And I just felt really released to do that, even though I personally struggle with it, um, which is something I'll add on at the end of this, um, which yeah, is, a, is something I'm grappling with, but um then in his actual death there was certainly no sense of this looming oh well your bereavement days are over you know Mm. come on back even though I wanted to get back into things about a week later because we had our retreat that we hold for pro-life leaders is something that I really enjoy and love and am a part of and so you two were actually like (laughs) hey stay home and (laughs) uh, I was a bit grumpy, grumpy about that but you were older much older than me and wiser (laughs) and could see that that's actually what I did need and that I needed to have that real confidence Mm. to be released from my role in that time and that you guys had it under control and you did. And so I did stay home and I'm thankful I did, you know, in hindsight. Mm. But at the time it was a bit rough thinking because I, as we've talked about, Brennan, like I feel uh, I want to do, do, do. Mm -hmm. I want to... Mm be active and be producing things mm. and especially in you know being passionate about pro life and so for me taking a break and a step back is not a good easy thing for me to do but i with your encouragement i've been able to do that and you've reminded me um that it's not all about utility no. and so maybe you can talk about that a little bit in the process of grieving but i haven't and even when i was preparing the um, celebration of life service for my dad the pastors at Salvation Army just kept reminding me because I was freaking out thinking oh you know what I've got planned is about two hours and then afternoon tea you know that's way too long to expect people to come for that long for a service and they were like really like and they just kept saying you know if you wanted to you could have a 10-day tonguey. you know why are you trying to rush this process like why are you trying to rush this time to stop mm. and remember your dad and celebrate him mm. and i think it was just this cultural part of me that's like just want to rush through and just want to make it simple and and not inconvenience yeah. anybody and and
1: and i must get back to being an yeah, economic producer get, yeah, for the economy and truly that
0: and um yeah. oh but people have other things to do and mm. It's just, it's just been really eye-opening to me um, throughout this. So, well, well,
1: even this podcast is, yeah. a, is a testament to that fact. Like, I remember you saying to me, the plan for the first podcast for the year was, <laughs> I'm going to talk about all the amazing experiences that I've had. uh going to the March for Life and all the amazing pro-lifers and all the learnings you got from over there. That was going to be the first episode. Yeah. Well, as you can hear right now, those who yeah. are listening... We are talking about, this is as far removed as you can get, we're talking about death. Yeah. And and that's, this podcast is really in a sense a powerful testament to the fact that you must stop and live with this reality mm. and not try and force it, not try and um, treat it as if somehow it's it, it's not it's less important than you being busy and like doing Like that's stuff. my
0: personal life, so now I've got to step yeah. into work life and yeah. instead it's very much integrated and I've, I've really appreciated that from mm. both of you and the rest of our team at Voice for Life. Um, Yeah, because it has given me space to I felt that I did actually grieve a lot During Mm. my dad's dying um, And when I was actually with him in person Mm. And he was alive There was a lot of mourning that took place Mm. in those moments Um, And then since his death there hasn't been as much But I've had the space just to um, Even, you know, clean his home Tidy Mm. up the affairs of that Plan the service uh, and, And yeah, have time to rest from what's been, you know a toll, um but yes it's been yeah. really interesting
1: okay we've heard a bit about your father's funeral mm. um i've talked a little bit about some of the things around the passing of my dad jason from your perspective as a man who's in this pastoral space all the time mm. what w- what do you think if someone was to say to you well what does a good funeral look like what does it entail what what, what do you what do you how would you answer that kind of question
2: yeah well just it really entailed two things and the I've said i've said before that uh, a good funeral the main objectives of a funeral really from a Christian point of view is um, firstly to minister to the mourning, so to mm. care for those and to be mindful of those who are uh, going through a real loss um, but secondly to that it's to preach the gospel mm. so just yeah. two things you're giving giving hope beyond the grave and I mm. think those are that's got to be a um, marks of, of of a good Christian um, mm. funeral and that's why as coming back to an earlier point made, Um, to try to have that and clearly articulated ahead of time can be Mm. very easy to do that Uh, it's very important I should say to do that leading up to the time just so that the person who's um, involved in helping to prepare or facilitate the funeral can do it the best that they can Mm. for the wishes of um, of those uh, of the person Mm. who has passed
1: now some people might sort of struggle a little bit here with this thing of of pro-life and death sort of together I think there's actually a beautiful marriage of the two I really Mm. do and and it's only, I think, if you're afraid of death, you have an unhealthy fear of death that, mm. um, that you struggle to really understand that, I think. And, mm. and so that's a challenge for those of us. Because I know I've had that in my life in yeah. the past. I remember uh, some years ago, and we updated our, my wife and I updated our wills because we now had a daughter. And it was like, well, who's going to care for our daughter if we were both to die mm. at the same time? And she said, here's the documents the lawyers have completed, and you just have to sign them. And I was just so foolish, this young married man I was. I thought, no, I can't sign it because if I sign it, that's my death warrant. Mm. And so I wouldn't sign it because it was like mm. me not wanting to face my own mortality. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing, you idiot? Yeah. You know, that paper's not going to kill you. Yeah. But I, in my mind was like, no, I'm signing yeah. my death warrant. I'm not going to. Yeah. And so there's this unhealthy fear that can yeah. um, affect all of us. Yeah. But uh, the reality is that for us um, as uh, pro-lifers, death is not the issue. It's killing it's yeah injustice it's yeah you know and there is a difference and, and I, difference. I, I look i told the story earlier but um I, i've from a very young age i've experienced um death and dying and mm. grief and i i my youngest experience i was a young lad and a our parish priest died, and they had an open casket at his funeral. I remember looking in, sort of peering over the side, and then going home that night for the next couple of nights, and I was sure he was behind the, the laundry door in their old house. And it was it was a very funny thing, but it, but I'm grateful for that experience as well. I, I, by the way, parents who are listening, don't panic. I think that's actually okay. It's okay for our kids to have those kind of moments. So there's something very real that they're confronting there. Um, But then when I was 16, some very good friends of mine in a youth ministry that I was involved in, they died very unexpectedly in a car accident. And they were, one in particular was like an older brother to me, I looked up to. And it was, we we sort of grieved and mourned as a community. My father's death I've Mm. talked about. There's been other deaths I've experienced throughout my life. So I've known deep grief and, and deep sadness like that. But... A couple of years ago, one of my neighbours took his own life and I was first on the scene. His wife mm. arrived home and she began screaming in absolute... I've never heard anyone, um, you know, such harrowing tears of grief. I've never, She was yelling, basically, and I've never heard anything like it. And I ran over, not sure what was going on, and I was first in. He's in his vehicle in the garage. And I remember that incident was very different. Mm. That death stayed with me in a way that... Uh, that the other deaths I'd experienced hadn't, mm. and it was a quite a, a for me. It was sort of a, a very powerful experiential thing that was quite eye opening. And In a sense, I would describe it like this: there was a, there was a, I would say there's like a spirit of death that hung mm. around. Mm-hmm. With the other deaths, there was mourning, there was grief, there was sadness. There yeah. was this. It was natural. It was an illness, yeah. whatever. But this was different. Yeah. And to me, it really I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, and this is what we care about as pro life is the the morality of a person's passing mm. does matter. Yes. There, there, There is a darkness, there is a spiritual reality at play here, and I think you, I know people who are of the Christian faith would probably not shy away from talking about spiritual realities, and you know, you don't mm. engage with the occult because you mm. open the door to those dark things. I would say certain types of death mm. open those doors, mm. and I think abortion, I think euthanasia, assisted suicide, mm. they are... It's not just about the person who's died or the victim, it's also the spiritual reality yeah. that we open ourselves to. And I, as I said, I experienced it was like a spirit of death that hung around because of it, it it's almost got its opening because of the immoral nature mm-hmm. of, of the death. And, yeah. and I don't know if I'm I explaining understand. that well, but there's yeah. something in that, right? That's,
2: yeah. you know? I, I, I think so. And I think perhaps what the difference is is that one there's a natural death or Mm. let's just say a circumstantial like in a car accident Mm. it's out of your control Mm. whereas in a in suicide abortion euthanasia you're taking matters into your own hands you Mm. are playing god at that point Mm. when it comes to the the matter of life and death and i think that that changes a lot and that's perhaps what you're feeling you're going Mm. this person's played god in their own lives
1: yeah Mm. Yeah, and there's there's, this that's quite a good point justin there's a there's like a severing, in a sense, in mm. your death from God in a very tangible way. Now, of course, we would uh, take into account the fact that some people have very serious depression and are not actually choosing yeah. that at all, as yes. this man did. But mm. but there's still something about the manner of that death yeah. that is a very clear, there's a reality of of being severed from, yeah. as opposed to uh I I experienced death and so it's a family journal, it's a journey, it's a communal journey and it's a journey I have with God hopefully as yeah. well, present with me in that. This is like severing God out of that yeah. altogether. It's it's yeah, I mean very, very profound, right?
2: And yeah. and I guess that's where we, we as pro lifers have a an opportunity as well. You know, yeah. it's not just the unborn, it's not just the elderly, mm. but it's also the the downcast it's mm. the depressed yeah. as well knowing yeah. that mm. for a person to get to that point yeah. um they're not thinking clearly yeah. you yeah. know there is there is some immense yeah. um struggles that they're going through mm-hmm. and that is a niche for us pro-life is to come in and go along, come alongside mm. those people who are in that place and and help them in that awesome. um in that dark that yeah, dark awesome. season
1: mm. okay your, your your father's death mm. i mean this is something i guess everyone grapples with is you know, as people of faith, you like you get a terminal diagnosis and you you pray for a miracle. But then there's also mm. that there's a very there's a paradox at play here, right? Yeah. Uh, because Jesus teaches us to pray. You know, Thy will be done yeah. on earth as yeah. it is in heaven. So yeah. there is a sort of there's, a, there's like a tension here. And some yeah. people, sadly, they well, some people sadly don't recover. They you can even lose yeah. faith because of that tension. But you've grappled with that tension.
0: Yeah, it's actually for my dad's specific um story when he'd been feeling unwell for months and Mm. we'd been trying to figure out what was wrong and I'd gone with him in the morning for a CT scan and uh that afternoon we were in the doctor's office and he'd received the results and he just looked over and he said you know it's bad news so I grabbed my dad's hand and braced you know braced ourselves as he said you know it's terminal cancer Mm. and it's one of the worst and you don't have long And I just looked over at my dad, and it was like, you know, with absolute confidence, just, Dad, you Mm. know where you're going, you Mm. know? Mm. And he just looked over at the doctor and said, and actually, this is good news. We now Mm. know what it is, and we know what's happening, and we know the next steps. Mm -hmm. And we went back into my car, and we just prayed that the Lord's will be done. And now my dad and I are more the Pentecostal tradition, (laughs) and our default is right let's contend for a miracle you know we are we're coming after this uh cancer in prayer mm-hmm. and we're gonna see full healing um and so that's our default but when my dad was in the hospital um a week later he had uh, deteriorated really really quickly and he kind of described it he was qu- questioning god about what was happening yeah because at the end of the day even though he wasn't afraid of death he was only 67 And he hadn't expected this to all happen and unfold very quickly.
2: Mm.
0: And um, so he was sitting there having a very low moment questioning God, using some colorful language, he tells me, um, (laughs) which I think God can handle. But in that moment, uh, he sort of described it as like he'd been running the race and Mm. he had kept the faith, but it was like he was puffing. He was getting puffed out and he was really struggling to... Hold on, you know. The trials um, of Job. Huh? Yeah. And yeah. so in that moment, the uh, Heavenly Father spoke to him and basically assured him that, Son, you've done everything I've asked you to do. Your work mm. here on earth is complete and it's time for you to come home to be with me.
1: Beautiful. What a and grace. And now
0: that, I kn- mm. exactly, and that, and then he relayed that to me afterwards. Um, and there's actually a lot more to that story, which is pretty cool, because then he went back to his room and a chaplain walked in. and it was a man he knew who was then able to share what God had said and pray with him so that was Mm. pretty cool but basically that gave us such peace of knowing Mm. that it was actually my dad's time to go Mm. and that we weren't there to fight for a miracle Mm. and so we were able to rest in that um that wonderful promise that the Lord had given him that, you know, he was going to be at home soon. And so even during my dad's um, actual death, it was incredible to actually be by his side, to hold his hand, to champion Mm. him on through that final moment um, that he had finished the race and that he had kept the faith. Mm. And it was, it was incredible. And then I actually just laid my head down on my dad's arm after he died and the Lord gave me a vision of my dad uh, walking into heaven behind Jesus and he just looked like my dad looked six months ago and he was absolutely full of Mm -hmm. joy and happy and waving goodbye at me and following Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that image just has um, brought me great deep deep mm-hmm. joy and peace in this Beautiful. time of mourning. And I actually feel that I mourned a lot more um, in the final days than I did mm. the days afterwards yeah. in the sense of now. You were prepared. Uh, for, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm incredibly thankful for my, mm. um, my dad and I's story mm. of death, which I know is not everybody's mm. and I know others have, you know, traumatic and heartbreaking situations mm. that are not that way. So I that's why I feel just so deeply mm. thankful for my but, experience but, with my dad.
1: Well, that's a great point. Yeah. And I, I guess, um, Jason, one of, one of the realities here is we often think, well, people can be in denial, you know, perhaps you don't have faith and they're looking till the very last minute for a quick, some sort of technological fix and they don't want to accept what's mm. coming. But to be fair, as Christians, we can fall into that trap ourselves, yeah. right? And, and how would you counsel someone, how to, I guess, how to pray, how to live through that mm. reality of facing the possibility of death, but also hoping for a miracle? I, mm. I heard recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago, one of our parish priests gave a beautiful Sunday sermon. His mother died last year, and it hit him really hard. And he said, I was praying for this miracle, yeah, praying for exactly. pray, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And then he said God very clearly reminded him, that when we pray for His will to be done, we are aligning ourselves mm. with that. And, and he said that was the moment that the peace came for him. Yeah. But but how do you counsel someone in that reality and a family and all that? You know.
2: Yeah, well, I mean that uh, that's really important. It's a good point that you make there. You know, where the um, the person not of faith can try to find some scientific solution mm. for it. Mm. Um, the Christian community can sometimes spiritualize that, mm. and yeah. so sometimes hoping for the miracle or hoping for the healing. Does God do miracles? Does God heal? Absolutely, mm. hundred yeah. percent. We we know yeah. that. Yeah. However, to pray, you need to be thinking, you know, your will be done, Lord, mm. not not mine. Mm. And the surrender. Re- it's, it's it's such a it's hard surrender, surrender. Or even when we're praying in the context of a miracle for healing or mm. whatever um, it might be, we have to still think of that healing in the in the broader perspective yeah. that yeah, even channel. if even if mm. a person is healed. They're eventually still going to die. Yes, yeah. I mean, Lazarus was raised from the dead. That was a pretty significant miracle. <laughs> yeah. But he was raised only to die again mm-hmm. at a later mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. apart from, um, you know, Elijah and Enoch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same for all of us. It's appointed, mm-hmm. you know, one, mm-hmm. for every for every mm-hmm. person to die. The scriptures mm-hmm. tell us. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that as long as as long as people are thinking about. You know, sure. Trust God that He could heal, and He may heal. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the prayers, asking if this is Your will, um, Lord, I, I would. This is what I would prefer. However, not my will, but Yours yeah. be done. I mean, it's the same prayer as Jesus um, before His death. Yeah. You know, um, if there's any way yeah. that Your will can be accomplished, you know, please, you know, spare this cup of yeah. death. However, he says, not my will, but yeah. yours be done. And I think that heart of surrender is where we kind of want to get to with people yes. yeah. rather than trying to find uh, a miracle or healing as being somewhat of escapism mm. from yeah. the the bigger picture of mm. what's actually taking place. Well,
1: well, it should be. The funny thing is, too, this should be a habit. as This should be our default setting as Christians, right? As people of faith, it should be every day should be mm-hmm. uh, a preparation for that yeah. and, and that, are uh, surrendering to
0: that. Lay our lives down. Yeah. Lay our lives down afresh each mm. day.
1: Yeah,
2: but I think you make a really good point there as well. Okay, just about the the necessary care that's needed for a mm. person of faith. Yeah, you know, mm. the, the, they know the theology of yep. of life beyond the grave. They know the resurrection hope that they have. They understand the theology of it, but then they come to the point where they actually have to go through that yeah. themselves, where they're going to have to take their last you Know physical breath yeah. on earth, knowing that that will be followed with their first breath in heaven, yeah. and so there is still a process that's needed there. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with your dad, had to there was a bit of wrestling that goes on, that's very, very natural. Yeah. That's not a that's not a, nothing to be concerned about, it's yeah. not like a, a wavering of faith, yeah. it's just admitting that we have eternity placed in our hearts, yeah. we love life. However, in that sort of situa- situation, the best that we can be doing is reminding those people of that which they know, yes. reminding yeah. them of the promises yeah. of Scripture, yeah. reminding them the character of God, yes. and mm. that does bring real peace, yes. um, where without that, you know, that wouldn't be the case.
1: Well, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, here's an interesting question, just as you were speaking, Jason, I'm thinking to myself, well, why don't we even, as um, as communities of faith, Uh, As pro-life groups, why aren't we also amongst our other important works? But why aren't we also perhaps even forming our people in what the reality of death looks like? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the actual physical, tangible reality. So that moment comes, and they're not like, "Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. uh, what? This is not like, yeah, sure, sure. I've prepared every day. I'm ready for the possibility of my own death, and I know, you know, the body shuts down. But no one told me what this would look like.
0: Like, my dad was really freaked out when we started saying, "Hey, how about we spend some time in hospice?". And he didn't understand what hospice really was. And so he Mm. was quite freaked out. Well, if I walk in there, I'm never walking out. (laughs) And, um, yeah, yeah, sadly, that was the truth. um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but you can actually just go into hospice in and out to get help with meds and things. So... Um, and I learned so much about hospice and I'm like in awe of them mm. and their work now at just a whole different level than when I knew. Mm. I knew about it at a head level when we've been discussing euthanasia and I've heard mm. people's testimonies of being helped through them and obviously they... Um, they do to try to educate people on what to expect but now I've just got this whole like this fire in my belly like to talk to talk about mm. death with everybody and mm. to even just say hey even if you want to go start mm. doing things like visiting a hospice with your parents and mm. having a look around and asking some hard questions and you know spending time at a funeral with a funeral director or going to see your minister and because mm. well, that's the other thing like your parents might go to a different church than Mm. you and so even different denomination, you might want to check in with what... Sort of things are, are normal for them. So even with my dad, we had a Salvation Army service, which mm. is different than what my church would have had. And and I so absolutely had a 40, loved 40 piece it. brass band. <laughs> oh, we missed out on that. We missed out on that. They, they packed the, pack that. the truck up into the t- oh no, but it was pretty cool. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. of the elements of it because yeah. of it being through the army, but yeah. yeah. So I just really passionate now. Like, let's talk about death. Let's well, actually talk well, about the practicalities. Like, well, I
1: can't help but wonder too, Jason. Here that I mean, part of it is we've talked about the loss of faith in our culture and how that mm. creates an absolute absolutely deadly and demonic um, uh, existential fear in people's minds of of death and where they're going and all the rest of it. But also, I can't help but wonder whether a lot of these doctor deaths, self-styled doctor deaths in the euthanasia movement, have actually had so much traction because possibly we as a church have not actually, or we have not done the job. We're trying to sanitize it, And so they've filled a vacuum and they've said, well, we'll tell you what death is and we'll tell
0: you how to get out of it easy. yeah.
2: Yeah, that that can be the case, and we are so far removed from it as well um, yeah. from death. I think what's really interesting is that our laws permit us to be a lot more hands on with death, more than what you know. Sometimes we even know. Mm. I know that when there was a death, we've had several deaths um, of you know young infants, you know ones mm. that are under three months old, and I remember not that long ago, long ago that. There was a young, a young baby girl. I think she might have been about maybe seven weeks, and she suffered mm. for that seven weeks while she was mm. before she passed. And um, we spent a lot of time with the family. Um, we started to look at some of the costs involved in mm. in the funeral, and even for such a small, you know, being, yes. it was it was more than what the family could mm. actually afford. So we looked into it as a church, and we found out that we could actually do it in house. Yeah. That we didn't actually have yeah. to involve the funeral directors at yes. all. And we realised that legally there's actually permissibility yeah. for us, just everyday citizens, to take the responsibility, so yeah. that when someone comes and um, pronounces the death and says, "Yes, there's, here's a d- death certificate," they can actually sign it to someone to take responsibility of the, as they call it, wow. the disposal of the body, yeah. um, in a in a way that is fitting with the law. And wow. and we did that, you know, mm. we've done that before, that where we where we yeah. did that in house, we, we we got and we got the little casket, wow. um, we had that. We gave it the parents time um, Mm. when we talked through um, with the and researched a lot to say what what actually happens to the physical body once Mm. the life is taken out of it, but um, but you're not going to have any preservatives put into the to Mm. the body as well. What do you need to do practically to that body? How how do you need to you know care for that body until the time that it actually comes? and we were able to do that in house we kept the body chilled we kept it in a you know a casket when the time was right mm. we arranged uh with the council to actually for the for the burial of that child as well and i think sometimes we don't realize that we don't yeah. realize that there is yeah. legal permissibility yes. for us to do that in house yeah. now if it was a, a a brutal car crash of some sort mm. i don't think it would be the same thing so i don't no. think that there are times for people yeah. to come to help that way but there could be circumstances where mm. a faith community or a community could come together and say, "We can do this. We can yeah. actually do this and save the family a lot yeah. of money. We can make it a real community process." Mm. And it's just good to know that it's not required to bring the officials into yeah. it. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, yeah. I think for me, and I think about my own passing, and, and I think what I'd like is, I'd, I mean, I want God. Mm. <laughs> you know, I want the gospel, and and I want. Uh, whiskey and, and feasting, you know. Like yeah. I, it's it's I I, I uh, and, I, and I, I I in a sense I want to haunt people, not not like a little ooh, <laughs> but but I I want um I want all oh, the man. uh let me, I'm I'm being a little bit, I'm being a little bit funny here, but I <laughs> yeah. I want all the heathens and eni- pagans and other enemies yeah. of Christ to go, oh, this guy's confronting me yeah. and calling me back to Christ, you yeah. know, and and I I think there's something in that that really matters, right? Um, it's part of the the sanitized nature of death now yeah. and the detached nature of it, yeah. and it's Funnily enough, it's not very pro life because it's not human anymore. it's, yeah. it's almost anti human at times. Yeah. We're not connected to even our own death. Yeah, and the death of our people. Yeah, my dad. My life. dad
0: had actually requested that my eldest brother share the bad about my dad's life. Mm. He hated the idea of us all just standing there and only speaking the good and yeah. pretending that he didn't have um, bad in yeah. his past. And mm. my brother really wonderfully balanced bringing that that mm. truth to light um, before we carried his urn to the foot of the cross. And well, that's a testament symbolic. of redemption, exactly. Right? And yeah. it, and people who attended, which again, I and I did laugh at the end. I said, you know, for some got my dad has been trying to get some of you in church for years, and look, he finally <laughs> did it. So um, you know, decades some of his workmates he yeah. he'd been asking to come to come along to church. So he was, I'm sure, he would have been very happy that we finally got them there. But. Um, yeah, just being able to... It's people who attended said to me afterwards, because your brother shared that at the end, it actually gave a like a lot more gravity to all the good that was said about your dad when we realized yeah. what he had overcome and what he'd been... How he had... The, like, the amount he had been transformed and yeah. redeemed. So um, that was interesting too because my... Yeah, that's what my dad really wanted. He didn't want... Uh, sort of this happy chappy funeral service that was all oh my my just that he was a good man. Yet
1: more denial. It was more to my dad yeah. than that.
0: His story, his testimony yeah. was far greater yeah. and deeper than yeah. that. Yeah.
1: So it's not; it shouldn't be another final act of denial yeah. after a whole series of <laughs> other denials and, and escapism. And, and, you know, my you
0: brother know. said that this isn't to shock you. I don't say this to shock you. This is my yeah. dad wanted it to be authentic and mm. real. Yeah. And I'm really grateful. At first I was a bit bracing myself, um, but I was thankful in the end of how it went. And, yeah, mm. it was beautiful. Jason,
1: have you ever had any sort of funeral requests where you've had to just gently, charitably, lovingly, as, and as a Christian a way as possible as you can sort of say look that's not really how we do things um I know and I, I remember talking to a priest recently who was saying that um, people were asking for all sorts of weird pop songs and mm-hmm. stuff like that and mm-hmm. um there there was uh, I know I know one priest I know he, he often gets these very we're not. We're not just talking about you know basics. Yeah. We're talking here about uh, can you play bad to the bone? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, my dad's yeah, brought yeah, into yeah, yeah, a church, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and he says, "I tell you what, I can't do that." But I, I'll tell hell. you what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. ACDC says, "I can't do that," but <laughs> I'll tell you what. How would you like it if I gave if I said the exact same funeral service that we gave to Pope John Paul II, and they're like, "Oh, oh, the Pope." We're getting dad's <laughs> getting the same funeral the Pope got, and, and of course it's out every Catholic gets you know, and and um, but but yeah, have you ever had those moments where you've sort of had to say gently to people look,
2: like, you know, uh, some sometimes. But a lot of mm. that can, a lot of that has been, you know, tidied up before the time actually comes yeah. because yeah. the person's actually, you know, they haven't they, wear, they haven't requested yeah. ahead of time ACDC to be yeah. played <laughs> um, as their as their final song or anything. Yeah. That's already been quite clear. Or if it, mm. even if it's not the songs necessarily, it's saying, I would like um, Jason or I would like the yeah. elders of the church yeah. to actually um, put together a service mm. that would be fitting um, for they know my wishes, something yeah. along those lines, and. Yeah. And when there has been things that have been a little bit off, there's once mm. um, that there was fa- a family member that said, "We don't, we want to play down the faith side of it." Okay. Yeah. And I said, "Well, if you're wanting me to run the the f- funeral as your, you know, loved mm. one has said, um, then faith will be part, quite a big part of that. Mm. I won't be playing that down." I said, "There's yeah. plenty of people who can run a non-religious yeah. um, service, yeah. and, and I don't want to cause any contention here. You're welcome to go and." Yeah. utilize their services but this has been a member in our church you see their wishes mm. um yeah. we know what they are and and um and so we're just going to fulfill yeah. that so i think there there is a place and, and i haven't had any hard pushback on that before no. it's just you know people people mm. are quite a vulnerable place at that yeah. time especially those who aren't and don't who don't have faith and yeah. so yeah. they're going to say all sorts of things yeah and so yeah gently charitably trying to help direct more what would the what would their loved one have wanted yeah. rather than yeah. what you want versus what I want. It's, it's, yeah. it's putting it back yeah. more onto, yeah. onto them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that goes back to the original point again, doesn't it? Make sure that you have put it in your will. A lot of people don't realize this, but you can put this in your will mm-hmm. yeah. where you actually lay out exactly what your fundamental funeral requests are. And I know yeah. this might seem – you think, oh, but no, no, my family knows me. But yeah. as you can probably attest, Jason – and like I've heard a lot about this lately from all mm. sorts of different places where, in actual fact, it is not uncommon for families just to actually make the decisions, yeah. regardless mm. of what the person actually wanted, yeah. because it's not clearly yeah. spelled out Yeah, anymore.
0: I would say, even just journal. Like, even you, mm. if you don't want to take the step of getting things you know set in stone legally even just start a journal and start writing about things that would be meaningful to you songs that you had always envisioned Mm -hmm. that would be sung at your funeral my dad in the final weeks he could not remember the name of the song that he really wanted and it was Mm. really driving him nuts and me because I wanted to (laughs) you know deliver on what he wanted but he just because at that point he had lost a lot of you know sometimes he didn't know what day it was and so trying to remember this favorite song that he had always hoped would be sung by us Mm. and that was quite stressful um and even the fact we had three weeks i had three weeks to plan his service because um the the salvation army was filled with supplies for the cyclone relief a lot of the donations so even though we even if we wanted to hold the service sooner we couldn't because his home church was full with donations um and it made me think wow i've got a lot more um, appreciation for people who pull this off in three four days because yeah. i even mm. in three weeks i was still trying to muck around with like oh, i can't figure out what picture he would have wanted on his booklet mm-hmm. and oh, i can't remember if he would have I uh, wanted this or this and uh, you know I'd wish when things were clearer and we had that beautiful you know time together well before he was unwell to actually really have a real in-depth conversation mm. and even over multiple conversations but to have gathered a lot of that is one thing that now I'm very passionate about I mm. keep laughing about with mum we got to get you know got to get planning mum you're 66 I want this all re- <laughs> you know organised and yeah. even the other day when my brother was here for the service we were at the park and my mum and him were hanging out and by tree and I quickly said oh quick I've got to get some photos you know <laughs> if we've learned anything we need more up-to-date photos ready for your funeral service mum yeah. and you know there's cracked up so yeah there's there's a lot of learnings to take away about the practicalities of what to do but also the spiritual side and just the holistic approach mm. to death that we need to take a, another look at
1: we need to have pro-life deaths yeah. yeah. We need to. Yeah. We actually need yeah. pro life deaths. Yeah. Um, before I finish with my final point mm. and and I invite you guys to share your thoughts on this, uh, hopefully, Kate, I've passed muster as a, as a host for the podcast. I've <laughs> filled in ably. <laughs> this better have been recorded, <laughs> Brennan.
0: This better have <laughs> I'm, been recorded. I'm I am not doing a third down. time. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> now, uh, I, I will say this, though, just a, a reminder mm. to folks while we are talking here about death mm. and pro life deaths, um don't forget you can actually uh in your passing leave uh, a legacy no matter how small Mm -hmm. to the work of uh voice for life new zealand uh this a bequest in your will uh so part of your estate could go or i know um with other organisations, people might even leave a particular item that yep. might have some value to yep. the organisation, and then or, yeah, yep. then they take responsibility mm-hmm. for making sure it's, it gets sold, and the money yes. is then converted into this important pro-life work. Yeah. You can do that. That's that's something to think about. Um, yeah. It's. It's. I know we don't like to think about this, and like me with that bit of paper, we're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sort of my warrant if I do." Th-. No, no. Mm-hmm. It's. It's, and it's a really powerful way mm-hmm. to. I mean, I know in the history of Voice for Life, um, oh, that there's been these moments massive. where bequests have arrived at oh, just the right time, just the right time to keep this important work incredible,
0: happening. incredible the amount of times that we've <laughs> been slightly nervous at the bank yeah. balance, and we get an email yeah. that someone has left a very generous sum yeah. in their will for us, and it is just. Incredibly, and it certainly raises your faith. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: moments. yeah, it it is, and I know it's something that people think about. And I've heard interesting stories about people who necess- maybe haven't lived the best of lives, and then they think, "Oh, what am I going to do with my wealth to actually try and uh, make a bit of a redemption out of these things?" And <laughs> and uh, you know um, that that's, uh, I'm not suggesting you should do that with us, but uh, if you <laughs> want to, you know, yeah. then then of course, uh, yeah, that that money that you give and contribute will be taken and just turned into a beautiful legacy. Yeah. where lives will be saved. Yeah. It's a, a beautiful way to uh, live on in a sense yeah. uh, and to use those resources that God mm. has given to you and throughout your life in a way that really mm. keeps, they, they keep uh, giving beyond. Uh, mm. Last thing I, I want to share with you guys and then and, and invite your thoughts on is really how I think, we talked about how we should have a pro-life death, mm. but I think a pro-life movement functions more effectively if it is if it has the attitude of memento mori you are dust and under dust you shall return. Like I was thinking about this just the other day, not related to this podcast, but what if we actually all acted like we really did believe that we could die at any moment? Surely our pro-life work, we'd be more courageous, we'd be more enhanced. We'd be like, look, it doesn't matter my reputation, my Mm -hmm. comfort. Mm -hmm. What if I only had the next week to tell people things that were important? What would my pro-life, how would that change my pro-life work?
2: Yeah, I I think that's important because we become complacent um, Mm -hmm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. We can kind of think that, and especially probably the younger we are you know mm-hmm. the, the more complacent we become because we think well we've still got we assume many decades still ahead of us but none of us know for certain mm-hmm. no, none of us know when our last breath will be and and there are times that remind us of that and I still mm-hmm. think of the um, young man in our church he was in his early 30s he had um, three young children a, a wife and um, healthy he ran a, a building business and he just some some something popped i can't remember exactly w- what it was some vein or some artery kind of thing popped and immediately he died he just mm. dropped to the, the ground no pain very quick but no one could expect it it was a freak mm. thing that doesn't happen very often and i think those sorts of things really force us to actually think about our um mm. our mortality and it does help us to think you know what should we be doing now you know yeah. what what if this was our last week yes. What if it was a last month? You know, yeah. what, what would we actually be doing? And I, I can tell you probably a few things we wouldn't be doing. Yeah, um, we wouldn't be binge watching Netflix. <gasps> yeah. um, Jason, look at me? I was looking into the air. I was just looking into the air. I was looking at myself actually. I, feel convicted um, now. I felt disappointed. It's, oh, stop! It's you know that there, there's there are certain there are certain um, yeah. uh, pastimes that we might think. You know what? I'd, I'd be a bit more intentional with how it is yeah. that I'm using my life right now.
1: Mm.
2: Now I'm not saying that we don't do anything i'm not saying <laughs> yeah. get rid of your netflix subscription i'm not Phew. saying that there's anything with part, wrong with past times however i think we can become complacent mm. and i know for myself whenever i'm involved in a funeral whenever i'm seeing you know a, a lifeless body that you know, the soul has gone from the body and i'm looking at that human body it's a it's a reminder to me to start making the most of the life that i do have now yeah. and i think i think that's just a, a, an important principle for us to um an important principle for us to remember but also really that's the reason why we the pro-life community needs to be more involved with death because we yeah. need to be able to see it as a part of life so. yeah
1: good point good point mm. i think we'd have more courage wouldn't we kate too oh, we'd, yeah. we'd say so we'd stop trying to curate and carefully craft our own reputation which we think we're going to need for the future moment when we have to be courageous yeah. and we'd say We just need to be courageous right now because this could be the last opportunity.
0: Amen. Yeah, Yeah, I actually felt a little bit of that come over me last night at the vigil. I sort of felt a newfound resolve Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I'm not Mm -hmm. quitting um, until we see change here in New Zealand. And Mm -hmm. I think that is just what I've walked away with, uh, just a real newfound perspective on life and just the preciousness of each day. My dad was one of my biggest cheerleaders uh, with the pro life Mm. calling on my life. He was so proud, and that Mm. was constantly brought up in his Mm. service. People standing up saying, I'd never met Kate, but I'd heard all about (laughs) her. Um, And one, uh, you know, some attributes that I've inherited from him his stubbornness. Um, He wasn't afraid to make people slightly uncomfortable by sharing his values and his beliefs. Mm. And so, a lot of that I really want to. yeah, increase and mm. I want to make him very proud and live the best life, um, awesome. you know, the life that he had hoped for me and that was to be who I am in this role, but also, yeah, to make an impact. Like I said, his story was um, one of of pro-life, you know, mm. he was adopted himself in the 50s and, you know, we later in life let, met his birth mother and was we were able to thank her for giving him life mm. and... So, it just is, I think it is having a ripple effect in the way that I'm choosing to do my daily life. And I'm excited. And I'm, like I said, I just want to talk about death with everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds crazy, but it's because it makes life that much sweeter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's sort of where I'm at.
1: Well, there you go, folks. Uh, You know, what can we say? Be prepared, Mm -hmm. have a pro life death. And embrace death and it might not, it might seem very strange, but it's a pro-life reality. Yeah. It should be. If it's not, if you don't embrace the pro-life reality, you probably end up with a very much the culture of death dictating your death mm-hmm. uh, and um, make sure that you use this newfound sense of pro-life death to give you courage yeah. for the work of, of sharing the culture of life and building the culture of life. And, and, you know, imagine if it was a few more hours or a few more weeks yeah. or a few more days left of your life. You know, how would you be using that to build the culture of life? Yeah. You know, I think that really, really matters. Mm. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. As I said, hopefully I have been an able substitute <laughs> for the, the beautiful Kate. Thank <laughs> we'll <keep> you on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't forget, please continue to support the work of Voice for Life New Zealand. This work is profoundly important. It's not possible without your financial partnership, though. Uh, Voiceforlife.org.nz forward slash donate. Every little contribution makes a huge difference. So I guess I should say goodbye, and I'm feeling awkward now. Kate and Jason probably should let you say goodbye. This is the dumb thing of the podcast, isn't it? (laughs) All right,
2: goodbye.
0: (laughs) See you later, alligator, as my dad would say. Awesome. What a beautiful (laughs) way to
1: end, and we will see you next time on Mm. The Pulse. The Pulse podcast is a production of Voice for Life New Zealand. If you enjoyed this show and you think that having a strong public pro-life voice is essential, then please support this podcast and all of the other important pro-life work that Voice for Life is engaged in at voiceforlife.org.nz forward slash donate. That's voiceforlife.org.nz forward slash donate. Link in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next month on The Pulse.